Hello, I'm Dan McMillan, Head of PR at Vitality, and I'll be chairing the final Vitality at Work podcast for 2017. Technology touches our lives in so many different ways today, and one of its many benefits is how it helps us work more effectively and efficiently with colleagues and clients. But with emerging research showing that digital technology is contributing to information overload and leading to stress and mental well-being issues in the workplace, have we reached a tipping point? In today's podcast, our panel of experts will be discussing whether our culture of constant connectivity is doing more harm than good, and they'll be providing some useful advice about how to have a healthy relationship with technology. But first, I'd like to introduce you to our panellists. Andy McGill is Vitality's head coach. He works with companies and advises them on how they can improve the health of their workforce to boost the business bottom line. James Belsham is a key member of the Britain's Healthiest Workplace research team. Britain's Healthiest Workplace is the largest and most comprehensive workplace wellness survey in the UK. And finally, our guest panellist is Dr Richard Graham, a consultant psychiatrist at Nightingale Hospital in London, and one of his specialist areas is looking at the harm caused by the overuse of new technologies. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Um, so Richard, I'll start with you. Um, so let's talk about email. Um, so obviously email is kind of you know a crucial part of today's workplace. Um, it kind of gives us a way to we can be in touch with people instantly, virtually instantly around the world. Um, but research is showing that checking it too often is actually contributing to stress in the workplace. And indeed in France, um, they recently brought in a law um, establishing set times for, um, for people to email each other. So I mean, I'm just wondering whether you've seen a shift where the always on nature of the workplace is causing some issues. I think that's right. I think that we're still learning how to manage the potential that technology such as emails brings to the workplace and to our ordinary lives. One of the great challenges about email is the fact that you can be reached 24-7 wherever you are, as long as you've got a signal, of course. And that creates a challenge for any worker as well as any employer. How do we know when things are urgent and need some sort of rapid response? Or whether it could wait, as you describe the French might be thinking about, in terms of having times where it's acceptable to be sending routine, generic emails. And so it creates a tension for both employer and employee about how to protect space in their lives, in their companies, for all those other things that help us be happy and healthy in our work and uh, promote good productivity. So I think this is a challenge for everyone at the moment and we're globally, I think, struggling to find ways of managing that better. I guess it's finding that balance, isn't it? Absolutely. But I think one thing we're starting to be more aware of is sort of getting back in touch with our biology and what we need to be sort of healthy, happy and productive. And so making sure emails aren't disrupting sleep and other activities that are good for our health is a really critical point to emphasise. And I mean, Andy, we, we, I mean, Richard spoke quite a lot about kind of, you know, uh, the employee. I mean, I guess from your point of view, is, there, is it incumbent on employers to kind of try and um, help their employees have a healthy relationship with technology or with emails and, or maybe kind of even, even setting parameters in terms of not sending mm-hmm. emails at certain times, like, the, you know, like, like what's happening in France? Definitely, Dan. So I think employers are in an ideal position to be able to look after the health and well-being of their employees, essentially because we spend so much of our time at work. But obviously, employers have also got to consider about the productivity of the business. So they've got to really, I suppose, um, bring in both sides of, of the, um, the, 
the, the work environment and to consider those carefully. So for example, I think there's definitely from an employer's perspective, they can do things to provide the structure around which employees will be working in. And again, we can refer to many examples. One example is obviously Volkswagen, who previously will um, shut off emails 30 minutes after employees finish their shift. And then again, emails or access to the server will be turned on again 30 minutes prior to you actually um, going into work. So I think it's great because employers then can sort of set the structure within which employees can work. But again, you need to be sensitive to the needs of the employees. For example, putting that really hard structure in place might be very good in some circumstances or in some roles or within some companies, but that's definitely not a one size fits all across all companies. So it's very much a matter of working with your employees and understanding them to fit solutions that work with them and that allows them to be productive and happy and healthy but yet also allows you as an employer to support them in, in doing so. Technology is a double-edged sword isn't it? I mean, we spoke a little bit about the um, emails, um, the kind of possibly negative implications of emails, the always on culture, the fact that you know your boss can email you at any time and you kind of you know whether there's expectations about uh, responding to that or not. But equally, um, technology can really help in terms of productivity and help relieving stress, can't it, Andy? Absolutely. So I think if we have an approach to technology in terms of having healthy habits and healthy traits in terms of how we utilise um, and we can actually empower ourselves with technology. So if we take, for example, Vitality GP as an example. So if I'm an employee at work and I'm feeling poorly, I need to actually have a conversation with the GP. It's possible for me to book a, a consultation via video conference, via Skype for example, um, with, a, with a GP and I can have that consultation virtually. So in terms of productivity, that allows me to take maybe 20 to 30 minutes out of my workday, yet still remain in the office without having to actually visit a GP practice. Now that allows me to actually find out what it is that I need to address, maybe gain a diagnosis and an onward plan which immediately puts me at ease, addresses my sort of any stress that might be, which might be there, but then allows me to come up with a plan there and then and actually work with my employer to find a solution. I think that's absolutely right. It's a fantastic initiative and what we're seeing more and more is how digital health products and services are reducing the barriers to seeking help. I mean, you may not be able to do it at, during the working day, you may be able to do this from home in the evening. And of course, it's gonna shorten those times between thinking you might need to seek help and actually being able to do so very privately, discreetly, which is going to really help prevent a lot of distress and, and, and unhappiness. And, uh, is there anything actually um, that is being used to look at mental health, to help mental health in, in any way? I mean, I, I guess there's kind of an inherent irony in saying that if there is stress being caused by technology, having technology helping you deal with that stress. but um, you know, kind of we're in the world now, the way, that, the way that's the case, we, we are kind of living in a world with technology, so you'd assume that there are kind of things out there that are kind of helping. Yeah, I think there's lots of things out there that are helping, not least information of course, and being able to discuss with peers in a whole range of forums about all sorts of mental health issues. Um, there are lots of self-assessment tools freely available online that help people start that journey of thinking about stress and other difficulties and what they might be able to do about it. And then when we get to the technology itself and when people are worried about overuse, there are apps like Moment that give you some breakdown of how you're using devices and your apps and the 
notifications, but also critically help you schedule other things to, to do in place of just staring at your phone that would make a bigger difference to your, your well-being. Oh, can you tell me a bit more about moments? It's an app, uh, <laughs> and it sort of uh, tots up the amount of screen time, but exactly what you're doing whilst you're on your screen. So you can start to make decisions about which apps and which notifications you either remove or, or switch off. But what's also great about it, as I say, is it's a scheduling tool as well that helps you also remember to do those things that we know are key to your happiness and well-being. I think just to expand on um, Andy's point around Vitality GP as a, as a positive use of technology, I feel, I feel the whole Vitality program is very much rooted in these positive um, applications of technology from wearable devices and the whole quantified self movement to, um, through to using digital apps to engage people in their health. And I think to Richard's point around the fact that we, I think the negative points of technology is when it gets in the way of healthy behaviours, uh, these, these can really act as positives in people's lives. Great. I mean, and, and staying with you, James. Um, the and if we're going to kind of look slightly, uh, slightly differently, kind of from from actual apps and um, and kind of technology like emails, things like that. Actually, the, the the workplace itself is being transformed by technology, isn't it? I mean, um, people aren't necessarily having to come into the office anymore. They can work from home or work remotely. Um, and there's going to be lots of talk about the gig economy, for example. But I understand that Britain's Healthiest Workplace um, has found that maybe working from home isn't the source of a completely stress-free life in itself. Um, and that actually it's more about flexible working, is that right? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point, just in terms of the fact that remote working has revolutionized the, the working environment. I think, um, I think it equally does have negative implications in that the boundaries between the home and work are blurred for people. Um, interestingly, the, um, the analysis we've done through Britain's Healthiest Workplace has, has looked at the um, impact of home working and flexible working on people's health and productivity outcomes. Um, and the, the key finding has been that when combined, home working and flexible working can be positive for people's health. However, when we look at home working as an independent factor, it actually has no health or productivity impact, suggesting that actually it's that flexibility and that control over the way that you work which has the most positive impact for people's health and productivity. Interesting. And Richard, have you, have you seen anything? Um, yes, I mean, I think, I think uh, as James was saying, I think the sort of risk of feeling more isolated and disconnected whilst working from home is, is something that could work against your sort of well-being and productivity. And it just reminded me that in the positive psychology movement, you know, positive relationships, which are often core to most people's workplaces, um, is a really strong factor in terms of happiness and well-being. So I think it's getting that balance right. But if you look at the average commuter, you know, usually they're staring at their phone because it's stressful. And so minimising that as well is also something that's going to help you in your work and, and wider life. So I think these are really interesting conversations we had about getting that right balance where we get the positives, but we're also minimising some of the stresses of, of long journeys, uh, disruptive travel, etc. So it's a, it's a really important point, but uh, we shouldn't forget the loneliness of the home worker too. Mm -hmm. And you spoke about balance there, which I think is a kind of interesting point to make. And Andy, I mean, do you, you spoke quite a lot about kind of how employers can help. Is it, are there any practical tips for employees to, to ensure they're getting that balance and that they're using technology in a healthy way? Absolutely, Dan. So I think one of the positive things that we can see is, um, and just referring back to Richard's earlier point around scheduling, so if you approach your day um, in terms of the, the traditional workday, be it nine to five, trying to 
set the set a few goals for that day in terms of actually just really highlighting the two key tasks that you need to do or the three key tasks that you need to do because what can all, unfortunately all too often happen is if we open up our email inbox in the first um, after just arriving into work and then you're bombarded with communications and emails going on and then before you know it you've lost half of your day. So planning it in terms of what you're going to do for the day, what are you going to achieve. But then a key thing as well is actually scheduling and batching your emails for example. So actually setting aside the time after you've done your to-do list say at set time then to actually open up your email inbox and just respond to the emails as they have come up closing down or putting it on your out of office and then opening up maybe later on in the afternoon or just before leaving the office. So I think approaching it and I think to James's point it's really around actually then that's empowering employees because you've got the choice you're choosing to go in and actually um, address what is in your inbox as opposed to I suppose we all feel bombarded don't we be it by pings from the phone or email inboxes and notifications so that really gives you the power as an employee and I think really quite interesting actually if I refer back to the employer side there's lots of examples of email management that we're seeing which is really good but actually we've seen now some employers who are starting to batch their emails um, for employees so that they only release them at certain times which I think is a great example definitely not one size fits all or something that would be appropriate for all organizations but certainly it's a sign that we're starting to actually acknowledge that we work better as humans in certain ways so we can now start to design how we approach it in addition to how the environment is set up to make sure that we're as productive as we can be right. and i mean there's two interesting words you said about choice control yeah i mean richard would you say that they are kind of really crucial factors for anyone to have a kind of a, a you know a healthy and happy life in some ways yeah i think feeling that you can have some influence some impact on your environment and of course your inbox is part of that neighbourhood that you, you inhabit as well now, is, is, is really key to, to well-being. Having that sense of, of agency where your decision-making, your judgement can, can find a sort of useful purpose and to control some of that onslaught of, of information, mails, notifications, yeah, I, I think it's a really important factor and uh, being able to have that control at least to some degree really helpful and i think important that it's it takes a dual approach from both employers and employees i think with with anything behavioral and as we've seen through our work with vitality it take it takes a certain amount of action from an individual to take to take ownership for their for their time and the way they manage it but i think also in terms of the role of managers and of leaders in terms of recognizing recognizing how individuals work uh, recognizing the warning signs when someone is stressed or is overusing technology or email and then putting in place steps to deal with that. Mm. And you, I mean, thinking about Britain's Healthy's workplace, that's a, that's a workplace wellness survey. Do you think that there's a real place for for um, surveys or assessments within the workplace that are going to help to examine that and also kind of help rectify any issues? I think so. I think I think certainly work-related stress and mental well-being issues are very much coming to the fore of, um, of a number of workplace health services, and certainly in the news, it's becoming a more prominent issue. I think the world of digital health and, um, and sort of technology addiction specifically is probably in its infancy from an employer perspective and from potentially from a research perspective as well. I think we're, we're only just at the start of understanding the, the, level of, um, the, the level of impact that that's having on people's health, but I think certainly it's something we're going to see growing over the next few years. Yeah. And would you agree with that, Richard, as well? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think we're living through an extraordinary time where you know, these devices, these technologies are in our homes, in our workplaces, in ways that we couldn't have imagined a few years ago. I think what's also really interesting is going back to that idea of what we understand from well-being in terms of our physicality or our, our biology. So perhaps the first step might be to think about, well, you know, and this does need careful consideration, but perhaps in terms of assessing wellness, we are asking more about sleep and the quality of sleep because we know that will have a, a significant knock-on effect. And you know, really taking seriously activity and diet, not in a nannying, intrusive way, but in terms of you know, just looking for those signs that somebody may be losing control over what they're doing in their work and, and ultimately no doubt the quality of their work will be affected by that. So lots of pointers that might actually come indirectly through how it impacts on us um, as say creatures <laughs> but as, as individuals with you know biological needs that we really understand much more clearly now yes. so the machines may be developing but there's still a lot that's the same about us there's obviously been a lot in the news um, lately about social media and the potentially addictive um, influences it has so um, Richard I mean what do you have to say about that and how can people enjoy the benefits of social media while resisting um, any particularly negative implications the question about social media is that how does this interface also with the workplace now? Yeah. Because lots of companies have all sorts of strategies and initiatives around the use of social media. And again, the sort of blurring between your social life and your workplace, again, gets ever more complex. You know, mm -hmm. People not being clear what they should post on um, various platforms about themselves or their work and, mm. and what's acceptable and what's not. So social media strategies need to be quite broad. But of course, there's another aspect which goes then to our use of technology, where I think we would all recognize now that social media was developed to sort of get us engaged and be present on whatever platform through the use of rewards like likes and followers and friends and streaks and so on. And in addition to any demands that's coming from your employer in relation to your use of technology, you have your own sort of relationship to it socially or through entertainment, the way channels like YouTube and Netflix sort of autoplay videos. All of these things are competing for our attention and our time. And of course, that has a knock-on effect as well. And perhaps if somebody were having problems with substance misuse, historically and the impact of that on their work might be a serious question for an employer. It may be in due course that somebody who really can't stop watching Netflix has similar issues. Interesting. Very and interesting. Even, in a, even in a workplace setting we're seeing new forms of social media arising. I think employers are moving away from email for example and actually in instigating sort of social media style platforms for employers to communicate. Sort of, mess sort of online message boards and things like that. So it's so it really is unescapable from the individual's point of view, as in your home and, and at work. Are there, I mean, are there too many kind of points of, of communication? Are there too many ways to communicate with people now? I mean, you know, you think back even, you know, 20 years ago, it was phone and, uh, and that was kind of, you know, about it really, wasn't it? And then actually having meetings with people and, see, and, and seeing them. Whereas now, if there's social media, there's emails, there's phone, there's teleconference, there's video conference, you know, there's just so many different ways. I think the really interesting aspect of this is that 
different channels are used by almost different generations. So relating to James's point, I mean, a lot of younger people will only respond to messaging apps. Mm -hmm. That is their channel of communication. So if you send them an email, they will say, well, why did you do that? You know I don't open them. Uh, in health, you know, we've had uh, younger adults complain about being sent a letter, um, which you know, has a certain amount of privacy attached to it, but it's not the right way of reaching them. So I think getting smarter about your staff and their preferred methods, you know, older workers tend to prefer email still, but it's not true for everyone. Great. I think about that as well as uh, in terms of thinking of reflecting upon ourselves, we obviously in terms of what what it is that we use well, email I think is definitely not the definitely not the enemy here and I think email has definitely got a place and I really like your your point there Richard around different generations which has really made me think because I know it was from chatting to other colleagues using different platforms such as Slack is, is another mm -hmm. one um, Dropbox there's lots of different platforms which as you're saying James is almost moving towards more of a social media me personally I think that that would actually be an unhelpful thing for me because then that might give me that anxiety around what am I missing out on and have I missed a message in the feed and mm -hmm. does that mean that I'm going to miss out on, on a piece of work mm -hmm. so I would argue that there's definitely something to be done around chatting, chatting to your employees surveying your employees in terms of actually what it is that they will respond to best and then can is it possible to implement training around how to actually use those tools so for example email is there bits that you can do in terms of actually sharpening up the communication and how you use that or when you schedule your emails even if it is um, one of the new platforms such as slack what are the best ways to use that and again it probably just comes down to using it positively with healthy habits which actually gets the most out of the platform but also then empowers and allows you to work collaboratively with your employees which is ultimately what employers want and what we want to do as humans Great. I, I think we've um, unfortunately come to towards the end of the podcast now, but as, as usual, I'd like to um, get one final piece of advice from each of you. Um, so just can you give one tip, one piece of advice to help people um, have a healthy relationship with technology? Starting with you, James. Um, I think, um, and this is almost directed to employers, I think there's, there's a real need for a cultural shift in the way people manage their work and particularly in the way line managers recognise and, and can work with employ employees when they're facing mental wellbeing issues. Andy? I would challenge anyone listening to try and find or create space in their day. So in sort of try and use their email inbox and switch to their out of office on or switch it off at certain periods to then try and create that space to work, be creative, work collaboratively with their fellow colleagues. And finally, Richard. Yeah, I go back to our biology again and prioritise sleep first. And so no screen device in the bedroom, uh, no screen activity an hour before you should be asleep. And in the same way that you're saying about protecting the space, protect your sleep. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I hope you found today's podcast both interesting and insightful. Goodbye.